Today, Pastor Steve will be teaching from Luke chapter 1 and 2. We know that to be where the birth story of Jesus is held in Scripture. And so Kim's going to read this text for us. But this morning, you know, usually we only linger in that part of Scripture during Advent and Christmas. So today may not just be a reminder of when Christ came, but also anticipation, longing for Christ to come again. So Kim's going to read the scripture. We're going to sing with that an Advent carol, one of our favorites. So come, become Emmanuel. So sing with us as we encounter scripture together, as Kim reads and as we sing. We just look for longing for Christ today. Lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Because there was no guest room available to them. 
shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Hey, Lord, we come today grateful that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this world. Leaving the throne of heaven would come, give his life for us. And Lord, this morning, as we've, as we've been singing, as we've been praising, Lord, we just want to add our, our verbal words to you of adoration. Lord, our thoughts of praise and worship. You are a great God. You have done great things. And we give you honor and praise for that this morning. Lord, we thank you that you walk with us day by day, moment by moment. Lord, I know there are those in our congregation that are, Lord, walking through difficult times. Lord, I pray that you would continue to walk with them, lift them, support them. Lord, may, may they sense your love and your grace and mercy around them today. Lord, whether those times are financial difficulties, health difficulties, Lord, relationship difficulties, addiction difficulties, Lord, uh, Lord, whatever those may be today, we come to you and Lord, we, we place in your hands all those issues that we battle on a day-to-day -day basis. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. And Lord, we, we pray that you'd continue to watch over us as we carry out the good news of the gospel of Christ. Lord, here locally, Lord, in our homes, in our workplaces. Lord, in our communities. And Lord, around the world, and we think of our missionaries. Lord, we lift up all of our missionaries to you this morning, especially this morning, Lord David and Shauna Good. It's their home because David's mom is gravely ill. So Lord, we just pray that you would surround that family with your, with your love. And Lord, may, may they sense and peace that comes only from you. Lord, we pray for our country. We pray for our leaders, Lord, that we may live peaceably, Lord, in, 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 this, in this world. And, Lord, as we look forward to the next, that you would show your mercies to us. Lord, as we, as we share today, Lord, may your word become clear. Lord, may it speak to us. And may we be obedient to what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah. I see that I'm the only one who got the memo uh, today. So 
Uh, sorry we didn't get that out so you could dress in your festive attire, but uh, glad that you're here this morning with us. Uh, uh, you know, it is only about six months, almost exactly, to Christmas. So, you know, we're kind of hitting it in the middle here. And, and while we're not really exchanging gifts and stuff today, we are kind of a little bit in the festive mood, in the giving mood, because in your program is an announcement about a pounding for our uh, youth ministry associate a team member, uh, Samantha. Now, Nick and Samantha Mayer uh, got married last week and last weekend, and they are going to be returning. And we're, we, we just want to do, as it says in your program, an old-fashioned Quaker pounding. Now, in our staff meeting uh, on Tuesday, Pastor Eric said, what is a Quaker pounding? <laughs> And so there's a little bit of description in there. Basically, uh, you can, if you read through there, things, you know, find something that's a pound or, you know, it could be two pounds or three pounds and, or it could be two pounds, three ounces. I don't, you know, whatever. But bring it and, and we'll have a table next week that you can just bring it and we can bless Nick and Sam. Now, you can do this the old-fashioned way. The old-fashioned way is that you get in your car, you drive all the way to the store, you go in, you buy, pick out, put it, got to go up and pay for it and carry it out and then bring it in next week. Or you could do what I did. And while Jim, Pastor Jim's out of town, you just go into his office. <laughs> and everything in here that, I'm gonna sh- that I've gotten for them came from my little trip down the hall to Pastor Jim's office. Uh, it kind of starts off here with, uh, you know, a, a pound, 15.2 ounces. That's close enough of fruit bars. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's something you can do. Uh, here is, uh, boy, a couple pounds, 2.8 pounds of blue almond diamonds. Diamonds. Blue almond, blue diamond almonds. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, Hill House, here's, here's a, a pound, um, 23 ounces, one pound of boom chicka pop. Sweet and salty kettle corn. All from Pastor Jim's office. I, uh, a pound plus of Oreo cookies. Yes. When the Oreo cookies are done, we got another pound of cookie thins, uh, toasted coconut. Uh, you know, this is just the stuff that wasn't opened. I mean, it's, it's like a, it is like a Heinen's in his, in his office, if you've been in there. It really is. Here is um, a couple pounds of um, Hello Panda chocolate cream filled cookies. Um, you know, you might want to, you might want to consider something like that. Here is some, uh, here's 16 ounces, exactly a pound of cocktail peanuts. Uh, um, uh-oh, don't tell him I got this. I hope you're not watching on YouTube. But his pound of Blue Mountain uh, Jamaican coffee that he got in Jamaica. Yeah, Samantha's going to love that. Um, <laughs> These are just about a pound, a pound of Pepsi, a pound of uh, Lipton tea, and, uh, and a pound of Heggie's chocolates. So, you know, that's, now this is empty. He has eaten this. But uh, so, so maybe that gives you an idea. You know, maybe you can be thinking of something here that, that you can get for them. But seriously, seriously, there is one thing you need to know. This was not in his office. This is a pound of brownie mix. But if you're going to get something for uh, Nick and Sam, it's important. This says gluten-free. Very critical, very critical that for Sam it be gluten-free. 
So if, if you're going to pick up something this week and it's going to be something you eat uh, and it's going to be something like flour or something, please, please, gluten-free or it goes in our, probably in our church uh, um, pantry, food pantry, which is great too, but not for Sam. So, <laughs> so that's, uh, that's what you can do this week. Go out and, and go to a friend, go to their house who's not home, you know, find stuff and yeah, bring it in. <laughs> You can do that. But you can also go out and do it the old-fashioned way, buy for them. Also, there are tables out there for VBS and for our summer picnic coming up. We've moved it to a different day in a different place, so make sure you make note of that. I think there's information on the back there, too. So we're welcome to, to French Church, and I'm Steve, one of the pastors. Glad you're here. Today, uh, we continue in our series, God is Stranger. And, you know, we're, we're making a big move today. Today is really from the Old Testament where we've been for eight weeks into the New Testament. We have seen this God who showed up and walked with Adam, who met with Abraham, who uh, challenged Gideon, who dazzled Isaiah. And this God who, through the prophets, you know, almost seemed downright chatty, you know, given all these messages all the time. And the prophets would, 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 would repeat those, and, and God was communicating. And all of a sudden, God goes silent. I, uh, I heard a phrase this week. I, I think I'd heard it before, but maybe not near as much as I did. It's called ghosting. Have you ever heard of ghosting? Yeah, I've been reading it because I'm... I'm I'm not listening to too much sports radio, but I am reading the paper. <laughs> and, uh, and Kyrie Irving, who was, of course, with the Cavaliers, is playing for the Boston Celtics. And there's a lot of talk this week that Kyrie was ghosting the Celtics. Well, ghosting means basically you cut off a relationship and you do it by just being silent. You don't, you don't pick up the phone and say, hi, I'm breaking up. I don't, you don't do anything like that. You just, you just, nothing. And so, and so it almost... You get the feeling that God is ghosting Israel. They haven't heard from him. What's going on? And it's not no news is good news. Sometimes we think no news is good news. But that's not the way it is here. That was awkward, wasn't it? You're waiting for me to say something, weren't you? Because you were expecting me to say something, it was awkward. Can you imagine expecting God to say something and for 400 years you hear nothing? And you're expecting it. That's awkward. In fact, for 600 years, basically Israel had been it been, they had been invaded and they had been lived in with or ruled by foreign rulers. And where was God? Where was God? If they're like a lot of us, after a few hundred years, you're no longer on the edge of your seat waiting. <laughs> you're no longer in anticipation. You're more like sitting back in your lazy boy chair and you're saying, wake me up if anything happens, <laughs> type thing. They hadn't heard a word. No wonder no wonder songs like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom, Captive Israel, who mourns in lowly exile here. God, we're waiting for you to say something. Don't ghost us any longer. What is happening? 
And then God turns up. God turns up. He shows up. And it's so monumental, so monumental that it introduces a whole new phase in our relationship with God and God's relationship with us. In fact, we have our Bibles separated in the middle because we have this Old Testament the way it used to be and this New Testament the way it is now. It's like the first book was written and it was done and it had a nice ending, but it was kind of unsatisfying ending. So along comes the sequel. <laughs> and the, the author writes this new ending, this new story, and, it, and you have hints back into the old. You have, you have some characters and you have references back to the old, but, but it's a new story. And that's what we see here in this New Testament. But the author of this story, the author here is the God of creation. The author is the God of the Israelite people, and he's authoring this new story. And we get to read, and we get to be part of this new story. Authors are interesting uh, people. One of the most famous um, authors of the 20th century, at least in fiction, is J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, you know, those stories like that. He would write, and he had a... Um, often employed a, a literary device or a storytelling device that, that he called a eucatastrophe. A eucatastrophe. Now, you know what a catastrophe is. A catastrophe is this sudden, unexpected evil, right? Something happens unexpectedly. It's evil. It's bad. It's a catastrophe. Well, in his storytelling, uh, Tolkien would take the Greek uh, prefix eu, E-U, which means good, and he would, he would insert this into a story and it would be an unexpected appearance of goodness in the story. In fact, he defined eucatastrophe as this, the sudden happy turn in a story which pierces you with a joy that brings you to tears. He said in the middle of this story, and normally in Tolkien's story, it was just when hope seemed lost. There was a eucatastrophe, broke through, sudden, unexpected appearance of goodness. If we could borrow from that, we would say, that is the story of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When there was no hope, when it seemed like everything was a catastrophe, we weren't hearing from God, we were under, under rule, all of a sudden, this goodness breaks through, a eucatastrophe. In fact, Galatians 4.4 says, at just the right time, in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ came at just the right moment. And it was continuing, though, this story that had happened. In fact, when we read through the book of Matthew, Matthew is very interested in making sure that his readers know that this new story doesn't stand on its own. This is part of the continuing story that we've been talking about for the last eight weeks, that this Old Testament, almost 50 times in the book of Matthew, we see references back to prophecy and scripture in the Old Testament where he's saying, look, this, this is the threads that run through this story. Confirm to us that this is not anything new. This is, this, is, this is new, but it's part of the old. It's God's fulfilling. The first time, the first time in his book where he quotes the Old Testament is, is, is in chapter 123 when he says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. God with us. 
Isaiah chapter 7. Emmanuel, God with us. God is coming. God is going to be part of us. I love what, what uh, Pastor Tim Keller says. He says, the incarnate, in the incarnation or Christmas means that God is not content to be just a concept or just someone you know from a distance. God comes to be with us. It's sudden. It's good. It's goodness come to earth. And so this this, this eucatastrophe happens. And how do we celebrate this eucatastrophe? We decorate our homes with blinking lights. <laughs> we sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. We wear crazy Christmas ties. We give gifts. We drink eggnog. We go to parties. And, and we do a lot of things, right? To celebrate this really strange event. A, a strange story of God entering our universe. God coming to earth. Have you ever, have you ever thought how strange this, this is where the strangeness of God, the strangeness of this story. Why, if God is coming to earth, why would he pick an unmarried couple from the Hicks? Why would he pick a, a, a Nazareth, Nazarene, a Nazareth, from someone from Nazareth, why, an unmarried? That doesn't make any sense. Why would he pick someone who apparently was out without significant financial resources, i.e. they were poor? <laughs> apparently they were poor because when they brought Jesus to the temple to present him there, instead of the animal sacrifice, which they normally would do, they, they made a sacrifice with a pigeon, which is normally what the poor would do, those who couldn't afford the animal sacrifice. We obviously know they couldn't book a hotel before they got to Bethlehem, right? Why on earth would the Son of God be born and God come into a place where there's not even a proper bedroom, a proper birthplace? From the very beginning, we see God, when, when this eucatastrophe happens, identifying with the underclass, the, un, the, the underprivileged, the poor. You know, I was thinking, and you know, just kind of like to imagine some of these things, and I was thinking what it would have been like on moving day in heaven. Now, moving day, I mean when Jesus makes the move, you know, from here to here. You know what we do when we move? And, and uh, in fact, I can see there, I, I have in my mind one of those shops that kind of like that James Bond goes to when he goes, picks out all of his cool new things. A guy named Q always says, here's all this stuff you can have, you know, all, this, all these fancy things. And I can see the angels saying, what do you need for your trip, Jesus? What do you need? It's going to be a big trip all the way down, probably heaven. And boy, maybe, how do you want to arrive? Maybe, maybe with a, oh, look at this stallion over here. Fine looking, fine looking animal. Can I see you riding in there? Whoa. Oh, no, 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 no. How about, how about, how about a nice Mercedes? Shiny, oh, let's go better. Let's go Rolls Royce, you know. That, that will get their attention, right? Or no, saying that's, that's kind of silly. Why would you do that when you can fly in, right? <laughs> How about the 747? Wheel down, opens up, you walk out. Ah, let's go with the F-15. Let's, boom, let's go just swing right in there. B-2, boom, let's go. How you might want to, what do you need? What do you need? And I can see Jesus stepping up and saying, what do you got in a pacifier? What do you have in a burp rag? <laughs> do you recommend uh, disposable diapers or washable diapers? <laughs> what is it you recommend? How strange. 
How strange that Jesus, the God, would come. And the scripture tells us you will find the baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. A manger. The Son of God. God himself. I know I've used this quote before, but it's one of my favorites, and it's from Frederick Beitner in his book, The Hungering Dark. He says this, those who believe in God can never, in a way, be sure of him again. Once they have seen him in a stable, they can never be sure where he will appear or to what lengths he will go or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of man. How low will God go to reach you and to reach me? Philippians chapter 2 gives us a little hint of how low he would go. It says even though he, he was God, Jesus was God, he thought being equal to God or being God was nothing to be, to be sought. And it says, it says he didn't cling to his position. He gave up his privileges. He humbled himself. He was born as a human. What more could he do? Where will he stop? We tend to find God in his search for you and for me in some very strange places. And there's nowhere stranger to find God than in a manger. I mean, I can could, I could understand in a burning bush. You know, that's kind of, I understand that's God's God. I can understand God in the fiery furnace with the other, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'd see God in there. But the baby with the pacifier, <laughs> is that God? How far will he go? But it's not just where God went and, 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 and um, how he came, but it was who he came to that strikes us as, as strange. In fact, Luke 2.8, which we read, which Kim read for us, says, and there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch of their flocks by night. The first people to hear the message weren't the political leaders, weren't the religious leaders, the first people to hear the message were the underclass, those who were looked down upon. A stranger. You can imagine being Mary in Bethlehem. Everybody's strangers. And now you had your baby born, and everybody that's coming through to look to see your baby are strangers. Wouldn't that be odd if you were in the hospital and all of a sudden just strangers started showing up in your room and said, we want to see your baby? <laughs> you say, who are you? You know, this, rather than this chapter being called Mary and the Stranger, it really could be called Mary and the Strangers. Sounds like a singing group. <laughs> it's Mary and the Strangers. It's all these strange people that are surrounding this birth of the Christ child. Having a baby. And strangers everywhere. More strangers. It wasn't just the marginalized, the undesirable, but it included the foreigners. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is he, the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Stargazers, fortune tellers, more strangers showing up to see the king of the Jews. And here's where the story even gets a little more strange. I, most of us know the, the Christmas story and we love it. We love all the, the angels singing, the shepherds and, and the manger and all those things. But the story that we tend to 
not highlight and not talk about a whole lot is what happens next. When the Magi come and they say, where is he that has been born king of the Jews? Herod says, hey, when you find him, come and tell me so I can worship him. But the Bible tells us that's not what they really, he really had in mind. See, Herod saw Jesus as a threat. In fact, when the Magi leave, we read in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 and 15, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. So he stayed there until the death of Herod. Another part we usually don't highlight and read when we want to feel comforted. <laughs> In fact, the scripture tells us that Herod was so mad, so angry at the wise men, that he sent out a decree that every young boy, two years and younger, in Bethlehem and surrounding Bethlehem would be slaughtered. So he could make sure that he killed his rival. And the scripture tells us, and what we read is the family left and went to Egypt. Think about that a second. Here is God. And we have just spent all this time in the Old Testament telling you how God cares for the foreigner, how God cares for the hurting, how God cares for the underclass, how God cares for those who have suffered injustice, how God cares for the alien, how God cares for the oppressed, all of those people that God cares about. And now all of a sudden, the table's turned. It is God and his parents who must flee. It is God who becomes a stranger. It is God who becomes the oppressed. It is God who becomes the outcast. It is God who becomes the alien. It is God who becomes the homeless. It is God who becomes the refugee. What we've seen throughout the scripture, what we've seen throughout the Old Testament is God's heart for those who are oppressed. And we see here the tables turned. You know, I've noticed in Scripture, I've noticed in the Old Testament, I've noticed in the New Testament, and quite frankly, I've noticed it in the world we live today, that those with the most to lose are the ones who push Jesus away the quickest. The ones with the most to lose are the ones who push Jesus away the quickest. The religious leaders, what did they have to lose? They had to lose their position. Herod, what did he have to lose? He had to lose his throne. The rich young man who came to Jesus, what did he have to lose? His riches. But those with nothing to lose are the ones who come to him. Those who are needy. Those who are saying, I, you know, what have I got to lose? What I realize is I have so much to gain. To gain. Those with the most to gain come to Christ and those who have so much to lose seem to be repelled by him. And that's the case 
in the scripture. Those who are, have much to lose, push Jesus away, push him into Egypt, push him to be oppressed, push him to be an alien, push him to be homeless. Throughout the scripture, throughout the scripture, we see God's heart for those who have nothing to lose. <laughs> we come with our hands empty. I had a discussion with uh, one of my staff, and we've, we've had this a couple times, about one of the Christmas songs, that, the very popular song. It's the song, Mary, Did You Know? You remember that song? Because Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? And then it goes on, did you know? And it keeps asking, did you know? Did you know? And, you know, we're wondering, what did Mary really know? Did, he, did she know that Jesus would walk on water? Did she know that he would heal blind men? Did, he, did she know that he would raise somebody from the dead? What all did Mary know? I, I'm guessing she, some of those facts, she had no clue, right? I don't think God gave her all the, the outline of what was to happen. But Mary, especially when you read the words that were read earlier, the, what we call the Magnificat, what she cried out to God and praised after she was blessed by Elizabeth, helps us to understand or get a glimpse of Mary's understanding of the character of God. In fact, two of those verses that were read earlier, Luke 1, 52 and 53 says this, Mary cries out, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has set, sent the rich away empty. Do we look at God and say, what could I lose versus what can I gain? He sent the rich away empty. I've come to the conclusion that for most people, Jesus is either a refuge or he's a threat. Jesus is one we come to with our needs and in and, 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 and our time of pain, in our hurt, or Jesus is a threat to our lifestyle, to our, to our move up, moving up mentality, to what we have. Is Jesus, is Jesus a threat or is Jesus a refuge? Kendiah has this to say about the outsider Jesus. He says this, it is as Jesus is excluded, estranged and made an outsider and a refugee that we come to see two things. We see God's identification with the outsider and we see his invitation to the outsider. Two things we see when we see Jesus as an outsider. And Jesus, boy, you read, his, you read the scripture and you notice Jesus just wasn't an outsider at the beginning of his life. Jesus wasn't just an outsider when he was a baby. Jesus was an outsider, especially to the religious people, the folk there throughout his life. But he came as an outsider. He was oppressed. He was, a, he was a, a, an alien. He was a refugee into Egypt. He identified with the outsider. But he also offers the invitation to the outsider. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Again, an Old Testament quote. 
He's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. It's an invitation. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. It's an invitation. And he's the recovery of sight for the blind. An invitation. And to set the oppressed free. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary. Come to me, all you who are thirsty. He continues to identify with the needy, the hurting, the underclassed, the oppressed. Kandaya goes on to say this, God is a stranger so that strangers can know God. If we know God, then we were once strangers. And we are to welcome strangers just as God welcomed us. You know, as we read through this, some of us have been reading through the book. Uh, hopefully a few of you have been reading through the book, God is Stranger. But as you read through there, and, and then you start understanding what Kandaya, and you see these threads of oppression, these threads of hospitality, these, these threads of, of God's love for the underclass. You might start to think, well, this is, he's, he's making some political statement. But you read through here, you never see any political statements, no political agendas. He is simply saying, here is God's heart. And here is how you can best reflect God's heart. Here is God's character. And here is how you can best reflect God's character. And I, we cannot read the Bible. We cannot read the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. We cannot read it faithfully and not get this message that God loves and cares for the underclass, the oppressed, the alien, the foreigner. You can't read it. You can't pay honor to our Quaker heritage and not believe that God cares for those prisoners those who can't take care of themselves, the orphans, the widows. We read throughout the Bible and we see that God identifies with and gives invitations to the oppressed, to the strangers, to the marginalized, to the poor, to the sick, to the orphans, to the widows, to the foreigners, to the children, to the prostitutes, to the tax collectors, to the hungry, to the thirsty, to the prisoner, to the sinners, to the broken, on and on and on and on throughout Scripture. We see God's heart and character for those. So God's inclusion of the outsider in the story of the birth of Jesus Christ should tell us something. Kendiah says this, We may not know many shepherds or traveling astrologers, but there are plenty of other people Unlikely people, people who are rejected and marginalized, whom we could invite into our homes and into our hearts. Can we do that? Can we reach out to those around us who are marginalized, who are rejected, and invite them into our homes? It's a lot easier to invite your buddies who, you can, uh, who can reciprocate, who have some of the same interests as you do. But he says... Our heart, if our heart is like Christ's heart, we invite those into our house. You know, one of the things when people talk to me about our church and I start telling them about it, one of the things I love to tell people about is our Just As I Am ministries. Our ministry to those with special needs going on right now in room 127. Reaching out to some of the marginalized in society that, that we care for and we love on and we let them worship. What a great opportunity. Here, and then here in, Feb in February, in August, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, 
We're going to have 800 to 1,000 teens in this building that Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, all of them Bhutanese, Nepalese refugees. Those who have, were in refugee camps and, and then were able to come to the United States. They're from across the country. The, the organization is the NG, oh boy, CYM, New Generation Christian Youth Movement. The leader of that is, is our friend Rakish Tirwa, right here located in Cleveland with the, with the Bhutanese Nepalese community. And he's, 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 he's bringing in across the country 800,000 youth that have spent time in a, in, in a camp, in a refugee camp in Nepal before they were able to come here. And we're going to minister to them. We're going to care for them. We're going to love them. And we're going to care for them as they meet together and take over the building. That's going to be a fun time. I'm still hearing reports about how, how the hospitality you offered to our uh, Hispanic friends last year in our International Hispanic Friends Pastors Conference that was here. They just keep talking about hospitality that you offered and cared for them. I remember when we started, started Celebrate Recovery. Fortunately, I don't think I heard it from people here, but I heard from some, some people say things like, do you really want those people sometimes in your church? You know, you know sometimes. And, and we said, yeah, we want those people. Of course we want those people. We want all people, right? We want, we want them here. We want to share the good news because we don't just identify with them. We invite. And that's what God's asked us to do. Not just identify, but invite. I love what Kendiah says here. The next, he says, if we want to know the God who is a stranger, we may have to start looking in all the wrong places. To do that, we may have to start being in all the wrong places. You know, a manger is no place for, a God, for God, is it? A manger is no place for God. He belongs in heaven. <laughs> he belongs in rolling and keeping all the stars in place. <laughs> That's the wrong place for God to be. But he came for us. I notice a couple things here. I notice it starts with looking. This week, look. Look around us. You know, you're never going to uh, see the need. You're never going to see the oppressed. You're never going to see the marginalized unless you look, right? But then it says, be. That means go. Be with them. Rub shoulders. Love on him. Then he goes on and says this, it wasn't beneath God himself to turn up in all the lowly villages of ancient Israel or the refugee camps of Egypt. It cannot be beneath us. Where will your hospitality be most costly, most effective, and most appreciated? Look, be, give. Give of yourselves. Give of your hospitality. You know, we can do it as a church here, and we hope to do more of it. And Be a hospitality people. Be a people looking for those who are marginalized and hurting and love on them. But what can you do this week? I encourage you to look, be, and give. Because I repeat that last question, where will your hospitality be most costly? Where will it be most effective? And where will it be most appreciated? Let's invest our time. Let's be like Jesus. Identify with them. But then invite them. Invite them. Invite them into relationship with the Lord who can give them what they don't have, what they need. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy to us today. We thank you that you left heaven and you came for us thinking nothing of what you were giving up. And yet we hang on and, Lord, we, we have so much to lose, it seems like. Lord, help us to come with empty hands and empty hearts and just say, fill us, Lord, and they use us to reach those who need to be reached. Lord, thank you for your challenge to us as we examine this life that Jesus Christ lived among the people. Help us to have that same attitude that was in Jesus Christ. And we'll give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together and let's just sing this short little chorus and think about the words of the song. Would you sing with us? God of salvation, you chased down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On the hill you created, the light of the world abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so alive. I could see your heart and Part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. I can see your heart in a million different ways. Every precious one, a child you died to save. billion times what would measure could amount to your desire if the one who never leaves the one behind come oh come
as our benediction, would you read this together with me? Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. Look, be, give this week. Go. Go.